Welcome to the Unitarian Church of Los Alamos in this video worship for Sunday, February 7th, 2021. As Unitarian Universalists, we affirm and promote the inherent worth and dignity of all people and gather together in a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. Whoever you are, whomever you love, wherever you are at this minute on your life's journey, you are welcome to be part of this community. I invite all newcomers and all longtime members and friends to connect with us on Facebook, with our page and our virtual fellowship hall, to sign our virtual guest book if this is your first time experiencing worship with us, and of course to email me with any questions you might have about our community or if you just need to talk to a minister. All the links for those can be found below in the service notes. We are glad you're with us here today, even at this distance. We look forward to seeing your face again soon.
We come together every week bound not by a creed or a mutual desire to please one God or many gods, yet we are drawn together by a belief that how we are in this world, who we are together, matters. We light this chalice together in the knowledge that love, not fear, can change this world. Come, let us worship together. Love is the doctrine of this church, the quest for truth is its sacrament, and service is its prayer. To dwell together in peace, to seek knowledge and freedom, to serve life in fellowship, to the end that all souls shall grow in harmony, thus do we covenant with each and with all. For all our joys, all our sorrows, whether we hold them close to our hearts or share them with each other, let us be together in a moment of silence.
Please join with me in a spirit of prayer and reflection. Eternal and beloved, gracious source of all life and all love, we gather together this day grateful for the time out of time which we have set apart so that we might become more fully present to ourselves, to our communities, and to that which we call holy. May our joys be celebrated together, our wounds be healed together, our hearts be opened together. Help us, Spirit, this day to both remember and forget. Help us to remember that all are worthy of a place in creation. Help us to forget those doubts that call that worthiness into question. Help us to remember that there is more that connects us to the other than there is that separates us. Help us to forget the meaning of the word other. Help us to remember that this community embraces us always through our greatest joys and our deepest sorrows. Help us to forget the fear or the pride that holds us back from accepting that embrace. Help us to remember the vision of the world we are called to build. Help us to remember the power of our own creative love. Help us to forget our talent for destruction. Eternal and beloved, be our reminder and our clean slate. Hold us in peace and in love and give us vision enough to see the holy ground upon which we walk, no matter where our journey takes us. All this we pray in the names of those known and unknown, present and absent, remembered and forgotten, in the names of all the helpers of humankind. Amen. Long ago, there was an old woman who wanted to see for herself the difference between heaven and hell. She went to see the monks in the temple, and they agreed to grant her request. First, you shall see hell. And they put a blindfold over her eyes. When the blindfold was removed, the old woman stood at the entrance to a great hall. The hall was filled with round tables, each piled high with the most delicious feast, meats, vegetables, fruits of every kind, and desserts to make your mouth water. The old woman noticed that there were people seated just out of arm's reach of the table. Their bodies were thin and their pale faces convulsed with frustration. They held spoons almost three feet long 
With the spoons they could reach the food, but they could not get the food back into their mouths. As the old woman watched, a hungry, angry sound rose into the air. Enough, she said. Let me see heaven. When the blindfold was removed the second time, the old woman rubbed her eyes. For there she stood again at the entrance to a great hall with tables piled high with the same sumptuous feast. Again, she saw the people sitting just out of arm's reach of the food with those long spoons. But the people in heaven were plump and rosy-cheeked, and as she watched, the musical sound of laughter filled the air. And then the old woman laughed, for now she understood the difference. The people in heaven were using those three-foot-long spoons to feed each other. In the beginning, there was the universe, vast and empty, except for its very center, where there dwelled the great heart at the center of all that is. For some number of eons, the heart was content to sit at the center, contemplating its heartness. But over time, as it pondered, the great heart came to understand that it could not know itself in the same way another could know it. And as the word another entered its consciousness, it grew to understand that it was lonely. And so from out of its very heart of hearts, it brought forth the rest of the cosmos, the stars and their planets, and the living beings that would inhabit them. And the beings were as curious as the great heart itself. They desired to study and to know all that is. And as they studied, they came to sense, although they could not see, the great heart. And as they glimpsed the heart in hints and flashes, they desired to see it as a whole. But the beings knew they were as small as the heart was great. They knew no single one of them could glimpse the whole all by themselves. They would need to come together to share the pieces that each had found. 
and the beings sensed, although they could not see, that if they came together to share their pieces, they would create something nearly as wonderful as the great heart itself. And though the beings did not know what the great thing would look like, they knew it had a name, and they called it Beloved Community.
you were to tell me 12 months ago that this little 36-inch square piece of fabric was going to be one of the most polarizing objects in our nation, well, first I would have asked you why, what's about to happen, and then you would tell me, and then I would say, of course. Of course, something like this is polarizing. Of course, doing something simple to take care of other people would engender fights amongst us because given the chance to be selfish, many of us will take it. It is, after all, human nature to insist upon ourselves over and above others. After all, we are born thinking that we are the center of the universe because we are all we know of the universe when we are in our infancy. And then we spend the rest of our lives trying to reconcile our sense of our individual self with the fact that we are interdependent and completely reliant on other people for our own survival and that others were reliant upon us as well. Some of us never, never reconcile with that. We grow insistent on our sense of self, and we draw hard, high borders around that sense of I. Some of us, some of us are able to admit, on the other hand, that other people are, in fact, real. And so we put on the mask And we say, I am doing this for you as much as for me. And it would be easy to pat ourselves on the back and congratulate ourselves on our own enlightenment and community-mindedness. But it is part of the work of the minister to afflict the comfortable. And far be it from me to see us get complacent in all of this. Last week... Part of the question received in the question box sermon that I did not read with regards to the idea of divergent and multiple realities or worldviews competing with each other was whether or not Unitarian Universalists bear some responsibility for that culture of divergent reality and worldview, given that for decades we have added emphasis on the importance of each individual's personal journey and each individual's search for truth and meaning. And the answer, as hard as it might be to hear, is yes, yeah, we we do bear some responsibility for that. We did contribute to some of that culture with our individual outlooks. We are today still coming out of a time when many of us understood the seven principles to be a list that was in ranked order rather than some sort of continuum or an interdependent list with principle number one, the inherent worth and dignity of each person right there at the top of the list. The individual that obviously meant came first, over and above all. You might have heard this translated as you were contemplating coming into a Unitarian Universalist congregation for the first time years ago, or maybe even today you are still hearing it, that Unitarian Universalism is the church where you can believe whatever you want to believe, no matter how that leads you to act in the world. And years ago, to question an individual's beliefs, or especially to ask for any sort of accountability when those beliefs spurred action that caused harm within the community, to ask for that 
accountability was seen by some as a violation of our principles, that first principle especially, you are questioning me and therefore denying my inherent worth and dignity. It's easy to see probably why we are the butt of so many jokes from the outside. It's easy to understand probably from the outside how we appear to be nothing more than a collective of stubborn individuals playing in parallel, not creating real community. So insistent are we on that individual inherent worth and dignity. Now, that had reached its peak 20-ish years ago by the time I had come in to Unitarian Universalism, and already there was a push against that notion of the hierarchy of principles and the primacy of the individual. There was a renewed push to see the principles as a continuum, as a list that fed itself, no one more important than the other. And we have, over the last couple of decades, put a heavy emphasis on that seventh principle, respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. Speaking more and more that idea of interdependence into the consciousness of our congregational life. A brief survey of the sermons I have done over the last 14 years will probably reveal that I have spoken on the principle of interdependence probably more than I have talked about any of our principles over my time here. Now, that might seem like a bit of an overcorrection, maybe, but necessary, I think, to counter the idea of the primacy of the individual in our communities. And with this renewed emphasis on our interdependence has come a renewed interest in the idea of building beloved community, that beloved community that Martin Luther King spoke of. We say it a lot in our congregations, beloved community. We talk a lot about the act of building beloved community. But like the denizens of our new ancient myth that I just made up, none of us really knows what it looks like yet. We know it's what we're supposed to come out with an end product of. But we don't know what it looks like or exactly how we do the building. And as a result, it's sometimes easy to misidentify exactly what beloved community is. For example, because we love our church community, because we love our congregation, and because we have found something here inspiring or soul-feeding or, dare I say, salvific within the community, it is tempting to give in to the desire to name the small c community that a congregation is as the beloved community so much do we love it this this is the beloved community of which we are speaking and we have built it and they will come eventually i hope but because we we love this community and because we find meaning within it. We also have a tendency to want to preserve exactly what it is we have found within the community that instills that love and instills that meaning for us. And we go about this work of preservation of our small C community 
by defining its borders, what it is, who belongs inside, how we gatekeep who comes in, whether we intend to or not. We humans, all the time, we fall into this practice of defining our small sea communities by how we are educated, how much money we make, how old we are, by social standings, by political affiliations, by our communication styles, by our preferred learning styles, all sorts of identities and outlooks and qualities used to draw borders to name what our small C community is. And in the process, we create an sort of unintended implicit orthodoxy to our community, we who pride ourselves on our unorthodoxy, an orthodoxy about who we are, who we are as Unitarian Universalists, who we are as the Unitarian Church of Los Alamos, even as we speak of and we desire to build beloved community for all. We engage in, if you'll pardon the oxymoron, a kind of collective individualism. Not a, not a hard, hard border around my sense of I, but a, a hard border around the sense of us. Just us. We mean well. But when we draw these lines, we fall short of the call of the great heart at the center of everything. We fall short of building the beloved community we are called to build. A beloved community where all, all in its great size are truly valued, truly accepted as they are. A community where difference does not automatically equate to other but where difference just is and is celebrated in the process. A community where we achieve a sense of oneness that is not homogenous, but is as messy and chaotic as the cosmos that it occupies. But where ultimately the mess doesn't matter because we have learned how to let go of that desire for sameness of unintended orthodoxy. We have let go, too, of the need to control the price of admission. In other words, in the beloved community, we arrive at a radical sense of we. Not just I, not just us, but a we. Unbounded and infinitely, indefinitely defined. Now, a church that is focused on building beloved community can point the way to that. But a church cannot be that community. My colleague and friend, the Reverend Joanna Fontaine Crawford out in Houston, has written, Beloved community is not held within our church walls. As soon as you begin to think like that, you have moved into the exact opposite of beloved community because in creating that definition of community, you have necessarily created otherness. There is the community inside our walls, the people who think like us, act like us, look like us, and there are the people who are not part of that community, the others. And this is not 
beloved community. We can point to the sky, but we cannot be the sky. And at the same time, as frustrating as it might seem perhaps, we will, as human beings, we will always be engaged in all sorts of small sea communities. Because humanity is by design a collection of varying communities with borders drawn around all of our various identities and interests and beliefs. And we may belong to several at once throughout our lifetime. And just like the struggle with our individuality versus our interdependence, it is part of human nature. It is how our finite, imperfect selves cope with the staggering size of all of us, of the near-infinite scope of the we we are trying to attain. We want beloved community, and we are part of small c communities everywhere we look. And in the face of this, how do we possibly answer the call of the great heart to build that beloved community? Is it even possible? Or does our imperfect humanity make beloved community a futile endeavor? Well, as loath as I am to give definitive answers ever in a sermon, I will say today it is possible. It is possible to build that beloved community. The answer lies in how we choose to approach the ways in which all our myriad small sea communities are already coexisting. Because all of those little communities are not separate circles with hard borders existing at a distance from one another and never the twain shall meet. All of these communities, they intersect, they subsect, they rub up against one another. They share their boundaries. And the choice that falls to us when we are answering that call to build beloved community The choice is how we will treat those borders. Will we approach them as high fortress walls? Or will we look at them as frontiers for exploration? Guess which choice I recommend. You see, the small sea community that builds a high wall, that builds a fortress, that jealously guards its gates, that climbs to the top and looks out over the edge and says, here there be dragons that is not a community, community approaching anything close to belovedness. But the community that sees the spaces where the borders intersect or rub up, that feels a call to, as Brian Stevenson tells us, get proximate to one another, to encounter one another on purpose, and sees those spaces as an, opportun- as an opportunity to learn and to grow, that is the community that is on the path to contributing and building the beloved community. Matthew Fox is an Episcopal priest and theologian and a practitioner of very Western-centric, Earth-based spirituality, as contradictory as that might sound. He writes a lot in his work about the possibilities that exist in the wild spaces on the borders between communities and ideas For Fox, the wildness at the border, the frontier, the wilderness, is the place where creativity and newness and renewal arise. 
the place where it's all really happening. Whether it's the border between biomes or a border between cultures, whether it's the border between the human and the divine, the finite and the infinite, these spaces are where creativity is not just possible, but abundant, sometimes happening without our direct participation. And I do have to say, Fox notes that that creativity can be used for good or for ill. Lord knows we humans have created awful things along with the awesome things we have created. But that we need to approach the creativity we can control with, with some intention if we are answering the call to building something beloved. At the frontier spaces of all of our various small sea communities, whether they intersect or subsect or rub up against one another, creative energy abounds. And we can tap into it if we choose. New things arise. And all parties on all sides are changed by their encounters. The building of beloved community requires of us an embrace of this inevitable change on those creative frontiers. It is, in fact, the resistance to this creative change that presents the biggest obstacle to beloved community. It is the thing that keeps us confined to the hard-bounded, small-sea communities that we exist in, even when those communities are just ones of I. To welcome another into our consciousness, to center another's experience in our awareness, is to invite a transformation in our understanding of who we are fundamentally. And the fear is maybe we'll lose our sense of self completely. It will be subsumed completely by this new sense of the we we are working towards. Or worse, worse than completely losing oneself is the fear that our sense of self will just be different after the encounter. For some who lean into the smallness of their small sea communities, this sort of transformation is just simply unacceptable. Personal security is often rooted in a fixed sense of self, and to allow change of any kind to that fixed sense is to become unmoored from everything we thought we knew, is to go through life a little bit out of control. But for those of us who feel compelled to answer the call of the great heart, to answer the call to create that elusive, beloved community. We have to be curious enough. We have to be adventurous enough to want to stick around and see just how that story turns out. It falls to us who sincerely desire to build that beloved community to embrace the potential creative energy where our small sea communities meet one another. Not just to embrace it, not just to sit there waiting for it to happen, but to, to run right towards the borders, full tilt, with joy perhaps even, run right towards those frontiers. 
Because to be ready to build beloved community is to accept the inevitability of the change brought about in us by those encounters. And to accept that though we may very well become unmoored from our sense of self, it is only for a moment. And if we are doing it intentionally, we know we will wind up somewhere that we can call truly beloved. I'll see you in three weeks for some more stories about just how we can do that. May it be so. Next week is a special worship service. We will be tuning in to a service created by the Unitarian Universalist Association's Side with Love campaign as part of their 30 Days of Love initiative. We will be watching that alongside thousands of Unitarian Universalists across the country, sharing an experience together. And I will meet you afterwards in coffee hour at 11 a.m. to talk about what we saw. The following week, Monroe Sikafus from our Santa Fe congregation joins us as our guest preacher and then I will be back here on the 28th to give you the second part of our talk on beloved community I'll see you then our offering for the month of February is taken up for our friends at strong in nature based in Los Alamos strong in nature seeks to help heal and empower survivors of sexual violence through outdoor adventures online community and employment opportunities 100% of each month's collection is given to our charitable partners. Please use the Givelify app from your mobile device or use the link in the service notes below to make your offering. May what you give bring you joy and a deeper relationship with your community.
Friends, may life bless us and keep us. May the light of life shine upon us and out from within us and be gracious to us and bring us peace. For this is the day. This is the one wild and precious life we have been given. So let us all find a way to rejoice and be glad in it. Go in peace.